stand and sing this morning. again now. All our hearts. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised and adored. And so we lift our holy hands in one Sing and bless it. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. We bless His name this morning. Hallelujah. Are you happy to be here? Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Just counted a privilege to be with you all. Amen. We welcome you to service. Amen. It's just it's just wonderful to gather in His name and lift Him up to give Him the glory He deserves. Amen. And that's what I live for. I hope that's your desire. Amen. <clears throat> Why don't we sing that song, Fill My Cup, Lord? Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Oh, come and quit. Oh, 
Oh, once again now, sing it with me. out, pour everything out on the altar, amen, and let him take control this morning, amen. Let's sing that song, Bless the Lord, O My Soul, 10,000 Reasons. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul, I worship his holy name, and sing like never before oh my soul I worship your holy name and the sun comes up it's a new day dawning and it's time to sing your song again whatever may pass and whatever lies before me let me be singing when the evening comes and bless the Lord oh my soul oh my soul, I worship His holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your holy name, and Your rich in love. name is great and your heart is kind for all your goodness I will keep on singing ten thousand reasons for my heart to find come on sing now oh bless the Lord of my soul Oh, my soul, I worship His holy name and sing like never. 
broadcast tonight. Welcome to Hickory Bible Tabernacle. We are glad to have all of you with us tonight, and uh, may the Lord richly bless you. I wish we were able to do this in person, but we're going to do a broadcast tonight and um, are thankful for this opportunity to be able to communicate in this way. I'd like to jump right in tonight and uh, give you a couple of prayer requests, and uh, then we'll turn to the Word. If you have your Bible ready, we're going to be going to the book of Romans tonight, Romans chapter 12. And we're going to be uh, continuing our theme on default beliefs, and this is the fifth part. So we're going to be reading uh, in there tonight. And let's begin. I want to give you a couple of prayer requests here uh, just in the very start. And um, we want to continue to remember Sister Caroline Jackson. She's just waiting on results uh, from the tests that she has done. But we want to uh, pray that the Lord will give her strength and give her some appetite back and uh, undertake for her. Uh, wanted to report that uh, Brother Tom came through his operation well. The doctors were pleased. Brother Tom was pleased. But because there was a little bit of excessive bleeding there. Uh, they wanted to keep him overnight again. And so he was not able to go home today, which was disappointing to him, but uh, he will Lord willing be able to get to go home tomorrow. Uh, also as well, uh, Sister Rosie and Sister Sherry, they were exposed to the virus uh, and they're just uh, quarantining themselves. So we want to remember them in prayer. They asked us to remember that. Uh, Sister Tracy Rabin is doing better. She communicated with me today and was very thankful for um, the contact, for the communication, and for the prayers of all the saints, and that meant a lot to her. Uh, we want to remember Brother Johnny Reynolds. Uh, Brother Johnny has uh, uh, had a heart condition for many years, and they uh, discovered today after doing some tests that he's going to be required to do some uh, heart surgery. And uh, we don't know when that will take place, but we want to hold Brother Johnny up in prayer. 
this is something that he was well aware of, and we want to uh, remember him. Now, we believe that God answers prayer, don't we? We believe that God cares about what we go through. And let me give you an example of that, if you don't mind. On Sunday, we gave an unspoken request for Mitchell. And uh, Brother Mitchell uh, texted me on Monday and told me that his prayer was completely answered and the situation was resolved. Brother Josh Godwin got a solid job offer today, and he's going to be starting. They want him to start right away, and that's also an answer to prayer. I had a note today from Brother Donnie Reagan, and he uh, informed me that uh, Erica was uh, undergoing some evaluations after the treatments that she had, and the doctors were very pleased with her progress. Uh, they were very excited about uh, the uh, the size of this uh, growth that was in her, and uh, they're continuing to do some more work. They're going to do another scan in three months, but uh, she's eating well, she's looking well, and the doctor was very pleased. So I, I um, wrote back Brother Downey, and I said, we would just continue to remember her in prayer, but we're thankful for that, and, and we're glad and delighted that uh, that he was watching out for her, and uh, we want to continue to remember her in prayer. When you have a serious disease like that, we certainly want to not slack until we get the all clear. So I want you to keep that on your prayer list if you don't mind. We have a number of saints who are in the very pathway of this new hurricane that's striking. Uh, Louisiana certainly has had its share of devastation this year, and there was a prayer request among the ministers today that went out uh, for protection of some brothers in Mississippi and Alabama. So we would ask you to just to be mindful of that. I believe it's going to swing by over in our area as well. Let's have a word of prayer. And uh, if your prayer request was not listed on this list, I want you to hold it before the Lord because it matters only that you speak to him in faith. That's how we touch him. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Again, we have to be able to gather together and to be able to rejoice in your presence, to be able to study the word of the Lord, to be able to learn and grow. And Father, whatever you say to us out of your word, we know those are important things, and we want to do the right thing, we want to believe the right thing, and we want to act the right way. Help us, I pray, Lord, as you prepare our hearts for that great time when we shall be changed. And Father, we bring every one of these requests before you tonight. I have my hand laid on this prayer list and I just ask in the name of Jesus that you would just draw near to each one. And Father, many that are not listed here, I just commit these needs to you and trust in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you will undertake, Lord, and you bring relief, you'd ease the suffering. Father, you'd bring deliverance, and Lord, you would bring good results from these exams and tests that people are going through. We ask, Lord, that you would just be gracious and mindful of these needs. Bless our time together tonight, we pray. Edify our hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. Now, let me give you just a couple of announcements here, and uh, then we'll jump into the word. First of all, uh, as we have um, noticed over the last uh, several few months, uh, Brother Steve and Sister Sarah, they've been ministering up in Virginia and uh, have done a tremendous job in, in uh, helping the church go through the uh, transition. Brother Fulcher served there many, many years and was faithful at his post of duty. And uh, the church uh, elected to have Steve act as a pastor. And uh, even though he's taking that position, uh, Steve and Sarah will always be a very integral part of our church and a part of our fellowship and certainly uh, part of our heart. 
and uh, he's done a, a very excellent job there and uh, is serving the, the, the body. So even though we don't always see him on Sundays, uh, they're very much in touch and we're just thankful that the Lord is opening up a door for him. And uh, we pray that God would bless the ministry and the work that uh, he's doing there. I have uh, several really important and exciting announcements uh, in relation to vision books, but I, I will wait until the weekend and uh, just fill you in on some of the details and show you a couple of really interesting pictures. Um, I, I just want to say two things about um, this particular uh, this particular week that we're in. Uh, we're coming up uh, close to an election. That's an important time. And uh, it's also, I believe, on the end of the week here is Halloween. And uh, you say, Brother Barry, you're going to preach on Halloween. And I will tell you, no, uh, I would encourage you to have nothing to do with it. Uh, stay far from it. I don't believe it is a Christian event and uh, don't think that it's anything that we would want to participate in. So I'd encourage you to uh, keep your distance from it all. Just let it go past as best you possibly can. The other thing I would say, too, is that, you know, rapidly we're coming uh, around to the 1st of November. And uh, who knew 2020 would be like it is? Uh, I mean, we're, we're talking end of the year here. We're talking, you know, Christmas and New Year's and, and the coming of another, another year, 2021. I just want to caution you uh, to be mindful of the fact that, uh, you know, once we get past 2020, 2021 uh, may essentially be not much better. 2020 may turn into 2021. Uh, I hope that it doesn't. It would be really nice for us to be able to have, uh, you know, our old freedoms back and our old fellowship back. Uh, lots of other things that we've sacrificed for this disease. But um, I don't want you to get your mindset that, you know, when the clock rolls over on January 1st, that everything is going to be different or everything's going to be changed. Or maybe even the passing of an election, that everything is going to be changed. Uh, I don't believe that it is. And so we have, we as believers, uh, we perhaps even need to talk more about the rest that a believer has, no matter what the conditions are. And to be aware of the fact that, uh, you know, our hope and our peace is not based upon or founded upon, uh, you know, the conditions of the times, but it's rather uh, founded upon our relationship with Christ. So I, I just, just want to throw that out there for you because, uh, I, you know, I hear a lot of people and they talk about the fact that, uh, you know, well, we can't wait till this year is over and we can't wait till this year is over and we can't wait till this year is over. Well, this year may end and uh, it may not always bring the things that, uh, you know, we have, we expected. We never expected 2020 to be like it was. And uh, so we just should say, well, Lord willing, we will do all we can for the kingdom and uh, do all we can for God, because it is probably a sign of the end. Now, uh, I, I believe in the, the old Latin phrase carpe diem, which it means to seize the day, make the most of the time that you have. Uh, this is the day that the Lord has made. His mercies are new every day. Hey, we're going to put our all into it and we are going to be trusting him for what happens today and tomorrow and uh, not be dismayed because things are not like we want them to be. And so uh, that, I believe, is a, a good mindset, good, uh, good way to approach things. I uh, hope you have your phone out so that you can uh, text an amen. Uh, I appreciate Brother Tom texting from the hospital down there, listening to the service. And uh, we appreciate that, Brother Tom. We're sure praying for you. And 
and trust that uh, the Lord will have you back on uh, two good knees before long. All right, let's jump in and talk about uh, the default beliefs that we have. Very briefly, let's do a little definition again. This is the definition that I like. The thing, a, a default value is a thing that exists or happens if you do not change it intentionally. It's a selection that's made, usually automatically or without consideration. <clears throat> As we have defined it, an absolute is different from a default because an absolute is a truth. It's a value or principle which is regarded as universally valid, cannot be easily changed, and it's viewed without relationship to other things. And so that's a very important distinction. Those definitions are good. So when we talk about absolute truth, it is something that's true at all times, no matter uh, no matter what anyone says or how anyone feels or what the circumstances are. Now, I've given you some true statements like two plus two is four. Here's a couple of more that are absolute truths. Number one, the Greenland shark has an average lifespan of 272 years. That's true. It's also true that honey never spoils. <clears throat> it's also true that every planet of the whole solar system can fit between the Earth and the moon. Here's one for you, especially you young people. The biggest tire manufacturer in the world is Lego. The company that makes more than 50% more tires than other man tire manufacturers such as Bridgestone or Goodyear. Who knew? But that is true that Lego actually makes more tires than anyone else. That is an absolute truth. Now, <clears throat> again, very briefly, all true prophets, all true Christians, all true believers stay with that word. No matter what anybody says, you stay right with the word. So that's not only a statement, but it's also a command. If you notice how Brother Brown is saying it, this is a statement of truth that all, all true prophets, Christians, and believers stay with the word. And then the command is, no matter what anybody else says, you stay with the word. Now, it's interesting because, uh, you know, people will get their own ideas about what they believe the word means. And they, they choose to apply the word with the understanding that they have. And so, you know, like a woman may say, well, I choose to believe that, uh, you know, I can wear men's clothing. I can wear pants. And uh, I have justification for that. And I have reason for that. But just because they believe that way, just because they hold to that, or maybe tradition has dictated that in their family, doesn't make it right. And so we have to make sure that what we do is based upon the Word of God, and it is what God says is right and true. That's what's most important. Whenever somebody, uh, you know, feels led to do something, I, I never stand in the way of anyone who feels led to do something. But I always caution them to make sure that it's God. Not how you want it to be, but make sure it's God. And when you know it's God, then you should pursue it with all your might. But you have to be discerning enough to know whether that is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. That's a very important piece of advice. But let's give an example of this now. All true prophets, Christians, and believers stay with the word. Let's give an example. Here's Brother Branham, questions and answers. And he said, now, some people, he was asked this question. Some people say that Christ was in Hades or hell before the resurrection. Is there scripture for this? He said, well, now here's a scriptural question. And I'd like to answer you from the scripture because they asked, is it in the scripture? So Brother Branham immediately turns to the Bible. So the person is asking, I want to see the scriptures for the answer to this question, was Christ in hell before the resurrection? 
So he says, first, let's turn to First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. And he said, so you won't have to take anybody else's word. You may read it and find out whether this is true or not. We always want to stay with the truth and where the Bible says it. So here's an example of Brother Branham doing exactly what he said in the previous quote here, where all true believers stay with the word. So he invites that person now to look in the Bible with him, and he goes over to 1 Peter, for Christ also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that uh, he might bring us to God, and, and so forth. By the which he also went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. So there's one evidence that Jesus actually did do it before the resurrection. Now he says in Acts 2.30, and he quotes the scripture there, therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. And he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. So he visited there before he was actually uh, raised up. And he's talking about the body of Christ here. So here's what Brother Bram says in the last paragraph, and this is what's important. His soul descended into hell and preached to spirits that repented not in the long suffering in the days of Noah. His soul did descend into hell, and he preached to spirits and rose on the third day. That is scriptural. That is the truth. So he's giving that answer now, not based on what he feels or thinks. He's given that answer based on what the Bible actually says. And this is borne out in many other examples as well. This is just a few, but it's borne out uh, by evidence of the Bible. And so he's going back to that. And so we should not be afraid to go back to the scripture and to defend, uh, you know, the the truths that we stand for, the things that we hold dear, uh, they are absolutely the truth, and, and we definitely should uh, be bold in doing that. All right, so let's look at a seventh default value that we have. Now, remember, these are things that are questioned. Are, sorry, these are, are not questioned. They're kind of automatic uh, and uh, unquestioned, or and, and will remain so unless they're challenged, okay? So let's take a look at this here, and let's just pray that God will guide us now in this answer, because this is, uh, this is an interesting one. There are many people who believe that, you know, if I'm born again, and if I have eternal life, then I really don't need to do anything, that God's going to take over and he's going to do everything, because after all, he's God, and I don't need to do anything. Whatever will be, will be. We call that fatalism. It's an attitude of fatalism. So whatever is going to be is going to be. I don't need to pray. I don't need to put any effort in. I don't need to put forth any effort in making any changes. It's going to be the way that it is. It's all going to work out anyway. And so therefore I can just kind of sit back and just observe it and not necessarily be a participant in what happens. I want to tell you that that attitude is wrong. And I say that based on the same principle that Brother Random just asked that answered that question for that person there. I believe we have responsibilities in this life. I believe we have responsibilities to do things. Now let me give you a quotation here that will jump us right into this, and then we want to stand back and look at the big picture here, which I like to do. Brother Branham says in the message to Queen of Sheba, America is going to be more condemned than any nation in the world at the day of judgment because it's had such great men in it. 
There's been revival after revival sweep across the country, and yet people continually indulge in sin, getting worse every day. The church even itself cooling off and getting away from God. It's a pity. Well, we can see where that went, right? It only got cooler. But what can we do about it? You say, well, why are you crying out about it, Brother Branham? Why are you crying out about it? Because someone has to cry out against the wrong so that at the day of judgment, there'll be a voice recorded against it. That's right. Let me read that little part again. But what can we do about it? In other words, things are the way they are. Conditions are getting worse and worsening all the time. What can we do about it? No matter what we say, people carry on. I mean, even in our own church, people can be confronted or corrected. They'll carry right on and do what they want to do. And you say, well, you know, why are you crying out about it, Brother Brandon? Why don't you just preach the, uh, the deeper things of God, you know? And he says, because somebody has to cry out against the wrong so that at the day of judgment, there'll be a voice recorded. So the, the, the principle is this, is that, like he says in the first paragraph, people in America have had, ha have had access to the truth for a very long time. And they are essentially without excuse for their sinfulness. And the witness they will have against them is the righteous voices of believers who called out against it in their day. What we say in the name of the Lord is recorded. And God will play that as a witness against them in that day. And they said, well, I never knew that, and I never uh, knew about the message, or I never had any exposure to this or that. And God will actually be able to play things to them, which would include your witness to them about what's right and wrong. Well, you say, I don't have to listen to that. Well, let me just say it this way. You're going to listen to it at some point or another. You're going to listen to it now and act on it. Or are you going to listen to it in judgment and then have to try to listen to what God's response is? I remember one time a minister said, he was asked, what are you going to say when, uh, when you stand in front of Jesus for the first time? And he gave a great answer. He said, I'm not at all concerned about what I'm going to say, but rather I'm going to be very concerned about what he has to say. So you're going to hear it one way or the other. And we are either the voice or we're those that listen to the voice. And we're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about, you know, we're not talking about, uh, you know, us receiving the message of salvation. We have heard that and we believe that. But we're talking about, uh, you know, when you look at the, the nations of the world, you know, you talk to another minister and uh, another uh, young man came to me one time and he was in the Methodist church and he was actually debating about whether he should go to college. And, and learn to be a minister. And I really, I really impressed upon him. I really tried to talk to him straight and say, hey, you have an experience, your candle's been lit, why don't you just go and preach the gospel and not complicate things or confuse things with a, uh, a seminary degree? I said, even within the seminary, they have lots of uh, contradictions that are there among the professors. And I said, you know, I just, I just really uh, pressed him and really encouraged him to well, I don't know whether he did or not. I don't know whether he ever never saw him again in my life. But uh, your your voice uh, your voice needs to be heard. And I, I think that many times we we feel like uh, because of our beliefs in predestination and our beliefs in the sovereignty of God that 
you know what? God's going to take care of it all. God's going to do it all. And uh, we don't need to do anything. We just kind of need to show up at the gate and go in with the bride and take our place at the wedding supper. Now, for me, I'd rather leave my mark before I leave this earth. I'd rather let I'd rather uh, be the kind of person that when I left here in the change, uh, the world sighed a quick sigh and said, hey, he's gone. Thank goodness he's gone. Now, let's look at what sovereignty is for a moment here. Sovereignty is the, the teaching uh, that lets us know that God is in supreme authority and all things are under, under his control. I'd have to say amen to that. God's sovereignty is his absolute right to do all things according to his own good pleasure. After all, he created it all. It's all his. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So he's able to do it. Uh, we, we know that he is supreme and he's independent and he holds and exercises all authority. He gives that authority because he has authority to give. And so therefore, having that absolute right, he does things according to his pleasure. Uh, he's not a dictator, that's for sure, but he is God. And so we cannot dispute that. There are certain things that God has decided. There are certain things that God has decreed, and they're going to happen that way. God determined there was going to be a flood in the days of Noah. He never took a vote. He never consulted Noah or Enoch. He just pronounced that there was going to be a judgment cycle kick in, and that's the way it was going to be. There was, uh, he, he pronounced that, uh, you know, there was going to be Gentiles that come into the picture. In the Old Testament, he talks about a people who were not a people uh, who would, you know, come in and enjoy the blessings of God. Uh, there's, there's many things that God has decreed that are going to happen because God has decreed them. And they're his absolute will of God. Uh, they are the fundamental things that God has determined. Uh, there, you know, there's a, a body that's created for us and God's already done that. There's a kingdom that awaits us there. You know, there's just so many things that, uh, that God has determined that we have no, uh, we have no choice about. We had no discussion about They're absolutely the truth. But we can say also that God has given man a measure of choice. He's given man a measure of choice. And so we want to look at this tonight and take a look at our part in that. Because if, if God was going to do it all, we really essentially would not need to have the Holy Spirit to have guidance. We would not need the Holy Spirit to have conviction because God wouldn't let us sin. He'd be in control. We wouldn't need the control tower of the Holy Spirit because he'd be the one who tell us everything we needed to know and everywhere we needed to be. But that's not the way it happens. We find in John chapter 7, Jesus, this is the day of the feast when Jesus stood and cried, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So here is the, the, the scripture, and this is found in Isaiah 55, where a man will take a little mouthful and out of his belly flows rivers of living water. Rivers of water come from taking in a little comes out a lot. And 39 explains this, for this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Don't lose the sight of the point. The idea is that there's going to come a Holy Spirit, that once it gets in you, it's going to produce something really much bigger uh, than what you could produce on your own. It's going to turn into something great, and it's going to flow from you in a way that, uh, you know, you would be able to do 
things for God. You would be able to preach. You would be able to witness. And you would be able to sing. And you would be able to worship God. And you would be able to witness to the nations. And you'd be able to print books. You'd be able to do whatever. And God gave you the Spirit so that that Spirit could flow out of you in a great way to do great things for the kingdom until you get there. Let's keep going. Brother Branham said, <clears throat> he was talking to a man in Idaho. He was a hog farmer. And he said to Brother Branham, well, uh, Brother Branham, I raised hogs. My grandfather had this herd, and he educated his children. And the same herd, I've educated my children. And my children have come up and educate theirs by the same herd. And Brother Branham said, that's very nice, sir. That's a legitimate job. But did you know that God put you here for some other purpose besides raising hogs to educate your children? God put you here to be sons and daughters of God. And if you fail to get that, you fail to receive the very purpose that God put you on earth to be. No matter how honest, how decent, how moral, how good you might be, you fail to answer the purpose that God put you on the earth to be. So <clears throat> we need that Holy Spirit that we talked about in John chapter 7 and Acts chapter 2. We need that because we will never fulfill the purpose of our origin and our destiny. We'll never fulfill what God had in mind for us. We'll never become truly, fully the sons of God without his spirit uh, flowing from us and, and being our very life source. We'll never become what God intended for us to be unless that we, uh, we, we uh, receive the Holy Spirit and be able to live that purpose out on this earth. God does have a purpose for you in the other kingdom, but God has a purpose as well in this kingdom. And he wants us to embrace that, and he wants us to live life fully. He said, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, like the water we were talking about coming out of a, a believer's belly. He, he, he wants us to be able to live in the full capacity of sons and daughters of God. He wants us to live in victory. He wants us to overcome. He does not overcome everything for us. He wants us to overcome by the strength and the power, the insight, the discernment, the love and the grace and the forgiveness and the knowledge that comes with an indwelling Holy Spirit in your life. He knows you can't do it yourself. He knows you can't live this life and he knows you can't overcome. He knows that there's many, many things you're limited to do. But Paul said, through Christ, I can do all things. And with God, all things are possible. So we believe that. And there are things that we face in this life. I say this, I would rather leave this earth in a blaze of glory. I'd rather leave a nice uh, trail behind me. Uh, you know, uh, uh, recently my son Andrew and grandson William, they were out west uh, traveling back uh, across the Rockies, and they came to the, uh, the place in the Oregon Trail where the wheel ruts of the wagons still are. They were narrow mountain passes that went through the Rockies, and those ruts are still there. They are etched in stone probably forever. And uh, I, I just thought, wow, that's, that's leaving your mark for sure. Uh, and you know what? It was not one wagon that did that. It was many, many, many wagons that did that over a period of time. I'd like to be a wagon that passes over the rock and carves out, even if it's just a little bit, I'd like to leave my mark upon the rock of this earth and uh, to be able to do whatever damage I can to Satan's kingdom and to be able to edify and help and minister to the body of Christ all over the world. God's given me great opportunity to do that. And I tell you what, I just regret that I'm not younger. I regret that I don't have more opportunities uh, to be able to go and do and be able to minister, um, you know, and just the opportunities that 
exist out there and the you know the 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 great needs that are out there and to be able to go and sit with the ministers and to listen to them and to be able to say okay uh, you know, this is what we can do. This is what you can do. And how can we work together and pray together and, and learn together? Uh, let me tell you, I just, I, I get excited just talking about it, uh, because I, I think, uh, that's worth doing. Those are things for the kingdom, but you know what? We even have a, I believe a responsibility here, uh, in our, in our world to, uh, make the best impression we can to be a good neighbor, uh, to conduct your business honestly and faithfully. Uh, to be able to, uh, you know, participate in, and enjoy your civic responsibilities. I believe all those things are true. We find uh, that when God, this is the example I gave you a couple of weeks ago in Jeremiah 29, when, when Jeremiah was speaking to the people who were going into captivity, he said, take ye wives, beget sons and daughters. In other words, live down there, take wives for your sons, give your daughters to husbands that they may have uh, bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased and not diminished. So generationally, they had a responsibility to grow. And seven, and seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. Let's read that again. Jeremiah 29, verse 7. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. So pray for a good leader, because if you have a good leader, uh, you will be able to live in peace and have freedoms that a bad leader would not allow you to have. Paul carries this thought on in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. I want that to sink in. Paul is telling us that it's right for us to supplicate, which is to ask, pray, intercede, and give thanks for all men, including the king, those in authority, that we may live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. This is a good thing. It's a good thing for you to pray for those that are in authority. It's a good thing for you to pray that the right people get in authority who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Uh. All right, let's take a look here. Uh, let's, For instance, let's, let's talk about the subject of taxes for one screen and one screen only. I hope you're out there and I hope you're listening tonight. In the message called Witnesses, Brother Brandon was talking about Shamgar from the Old Testament. And he looked down and he saw his crops and he saw those 600 Philistine soldiers coming. He had no weapons. And he thought, oh, if I was a soldier now, perhaps maybe I could fight. But I'm not a soldier. I'm a farmer. I haven't got a sword. So what could I do? You may be sitting there saying, well, what can I do? Brother Branham said, that's the devil that will make you defeated in a, in a conversation like that. I say this to you, holiness people, his righteous indignation got up. This is Shamgar, brother, if you let the devil run over you, he will just show you what size he is. But you get a little grit yourself and claim your God-given privileges in Jesus Christ and you'll rejoice. <laughs> so what can I do? This is what Shamgar says. What can I do? My goodness, I'm just one man against 600 here. What can I do? Now, remember, he had God on his side. 
And if you listen to the devil, you know what you'll do is nothing. You leave it all up to somebody else. You will allow the enemy to roll in and roll right over you. And Brother Branham said when his righteous indignation got up and he remembered he was an Israelite, he remembered he was a part of the covenant, he remembered his forefathers who stood for the right and God honored that. He said, brother, if you let the devil run over you, he will just show you what size he is. But get yourself a little grit and claim your God-given rights and your privileges in Jesus Christ and you'll rejoice. Hey, I say this, let's let's become aware of our, of our privileges. Now, let me throw this in here and I... I wanted to bring this last week when we were talking about personalities, and I'm not really done with the whole personality idea. I got lots of feedback from that, and, and uh, there's more to that whole uh, part of this uh, equation here. Brother Random said in the message, Blind Bartimaeus, he said, and I will pray for, for these after uh, I'm sure that his anointing is on me. He's talking about being in the prayer line. He's actually given us a little idea of how it works, that, you know, Brother Ram's preaching the word and and yet he's got a gift and he knows that God has directing, already directed him that there's you know, going to be some supernatural elements to this service and prayer line. And, and, and Brother Branham says, I, I'll pray for those people after I'm sure his anointing spirit is on me. And he says it would be better. God, to serve him is like a dual personality, I guess, or something. And he's, he's just finding a way to describe this. He said, you go out here and you, you like to work and you help to build a house. Uh, go fishing or hunting or whatever. He says, you're on your own. But when that spirit of God strikes you, it's something different then. It's the anointing of God using that individual vessel. Now, hold on a sec here. The last part of this is important. When the spirit of God strikes you, it's usually to do something unique and in relation to your calling. So when the anointing strikes me and I, you know, it doesn't matter how many people are in front of me, it doesn't matter how difficult the situation is, when you're anointed to preach, let me tell you, um, none of those other circumstances matter. You're just, it's different then because you know, it's not you speaking. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through you. And that's the anointing of God. Now, if you're going out here to, to build a house or help build a house, as he said, or fishing or hunting or whatever you do. In other words, this is ordinary life. This is not necessarily related to your calling, but this is just ordinary life. Then what he's saying is that we who have the Holy Spirit we still, he's still the center of our life. We acknowledge him. We pray. I pray in front of everything that we, we do. Um, we commit our day to the Lord. We, you know, we, we do that as a family, do that as individuals. We, uh, we trust in him to help us and uh, to be guided and be successful. I, I've often prayed with my boys and they're going hunting to, that they would be successful on the hunt or fishing trip or whatever else, whatever work we set out to do. And uh, we, he's still central. But that's a little bit different than when you're anointed in a particular ministry or calling uh, to do something. And that's a person who's set aside to do something that's very sacred in the eyes of God. But Brother Branham is acknowledging those two things. And uh, he said, you know, we, we're, we're going to accomplish certain things when that anointing is there in such a great way than we are just in ordinary life. But we have the Holy Spirit who guides us through all facets of our life. And that's important. Paul writes this. He says, well, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So let's just stop here and say this. <clears throat> God's wired you a certain way. He's made you a certain way as a speaker, singer, 
some of you don't do any particular public function in the church, but you're a believer. You might be a seamstress. You might be a cook. You might be a truck driver. Uh, you might be a businessman, whatever it is that God's called you to do. We, we know the things that we know by the Spirit of God. We are successful in what we do because of the Spirit of God. And we ascend above the ranks of the natural man because a natural man does things solely based on his ability. But we recognize that God's given us an ability, but he's also given us his spirit freely so that we're able to accomplish things not only for our family, but also for the kingdom. So there's a duality here, and this is what he's describing here. Verse 14, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. So you know what? He's on his own. If you reject the moving of the Spirit of God, you're on your own. Uh, if you're smart, great. If you're, uh, you know, if you're, uh, don't have any ambition, well, you know, that's the way that you are. Uh, if a person's uh, a thief, that's the way he is, and you're going to be that way. Uh, but with the Spirit of God, he's able to transform a person. He's able to take a thief or a prostitute or a, a sinner and able to transform them with the gifts and talents that he's already given them and, and watch that person not only be a provider and be successful, but also to be a witness for the kingdom and the, and the keeping power of God. And, and so Paul is uh, differentiating there. And I think it's important for us to understand, but now you say, all right, brother Barry, if this is true, if what you're saying is true here, then why pray? I mean, if God's going to do it all, uh, why don't we just sit back and just relax? I like what Martin Luther said. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but rather it is laying hold of his willingness. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, arguing with God. It is laying hold of his willingness. Lord, what would you have me to do in your will? Show me your will. It's reaching out to find out what his will is. And that's what a, a person, real, a believer, really desires to do, is to pursue with a passion the will of God. Now, I love the way A.W. Pink says, and A.W. Pink was a Scottish preacher. Uh, I believe he's a member of the Bride of Christ, and I believe we'll see him. I like what he says about prayer. Listen to this. The prevailing idea seems to be that I come to God to ask him for something that I want, and that I expect him to give me that which I have asked. But this is a most dishonoring and degrading conception. The popular belief reduces God to a servant, our servant, doing our bidding, performing our pleasure, granting our desires. No. Prayer is coming to God, telling him my need, committing my way unto the Lord, and leaving him to deal with it as he seemeth, as seeth, seemeth him best. Let me say it again. Prayer is a coming to God, telling him my need, committing my way unto the Lord, and leaving him to deal with it as seemeth him best. That's a faith in God when you're willing to leave that need in his, in his hands and to be able to walk on and trust that he's going to work it out. God is not a Coke machine where we put in a quarter and get something out. It is not just uh, an, endless, an endless list of requests that we give to God but rather there are situations that we lay at his feet and we believe that, you know what, his will is most important and I'm going to commit my way to the Lord and let him deal with it and answer his way in his time. 
And that's what I'm going to do. And when we do that, those are expressions of faith. All right. <clears throat> let's take a look a little bit further now. The marriage of the Lamb. Now let's go just a shade further here. So many says, so many people will say, well, if the Lord will take this evil spirit from me, from drinking, gambling, lying, and stealing, then I'll serve him. If God will only do that, my goodness, if God will only hurry up and act in my life, I'd be happy. But that's up to you. That's not up to God. That's up to you. And this is where this personal responsibility that I talked about comes into play. See, you got to do something too. They that overcome shall inherit all things. They that overcome. You have power to do it, but you must be willing to lay it down. And the bride has made herself ready. I like that word. God could not push us through a little pipe, pull us out on the other end and say, blessed is he that overcometh. You had nothing to overcome. You just He just pushed you through. But you've got to make decisions for yourself. And in doing that, we show our faith and respects to God. As I've said to you many times before, I think it's an, you know, it's an amazing thing about our lives, how that God, uh, you know, has ordained it that we um, we make decisions about marriage when we're, uh, you know, in the past teenage years and uh, who we're going to marry, and that's a decision that we can't back out of. That's a decision that's one that we can't repent of. So it's an extremely important decision. And it is something that, uh, you know, we need to be very mindful of. And it is often made not knowing how things are going to turn out. You don't know how the future is going to be. And you think you know that person, but you really don't know that person after, you know, 20 years of life and what life will bring. You really don't know. And uh, there are some things that we, we do by faith, some things we do, uh, you know, important decisions, what job that we're going to take. And uh, maybe what college that we're going to attend and many different things that are put up front in our lives there. And we don't get years and years of experience to look at it. I certainly do. I would love to have some of those decisions uh, to make over uh, from my early years. Not the one about Sister Becky. I'm, um, I was absolutely right on that one. And I'm, I'm still convinced I was right. But there are other things that I wasted time on. And it's because I didn't know. And I was, you know, back in those early years, even when I was in the faith, even though when I was in the message, I, I, you know, I, th you thought, you prayed, you, you sought God and did the very best you could based on the information you had at the time. And there were things that I worried about and things that I fretted about, things that I put my energy into that I found out I really never needed to. And so it's, it's a, um, it's a responsibility that God's given to us that, he doesn't make all those decisions for us. We have to do that. And sometimes we do it just simply based on faith and, and just trusting that the Lord will lead us and, and give us direction, taking cues from the counselors around us and doing the very best we possibly can. And God wants you to overcome. He wants you to, to learn from those experiences. He wants you to learn from those mistakes that you make. All of those things are very, uh, very important in our lives. Now, I'm just going to skip for a moment here because I want to get to something. Uh, we we find in the scripture, like, for instance, this is one that I, I don't need to read this. This is Peter in the prison house in Acts chapter 12. And you remember when uh, Herod, the king, stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter. This is the kind of leader that they had. They never had a choice, a leader. They never had an election. 
that put uh, Herod as king for sure, as kings don't get elected. And uh, I'm sure if they had their way, they would certainly have picked a different leader because now this king is indiscriminately choosing people uh, just for popularity to see who he, who he can please the most and uh, throw him in, in jail for, headed for certain death. That's what they did. Now, if that was whatever will be will be, then it certainly would not have been any point in the believers praying over that. But while they were in prison, prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. So the response of the church in light of this new uh, action here was to pray without ceasing. And we don't find anywhere where God comes down and condemns them and says, hey, listen, this is, you know what? This is my will. This is what I've allowed to happen. So don't interfere with this. Leave this alone. We don't find that anywhere at all. They made prayer without ceasing. They got down on their knees and they sought God. And then, of course, we know the story, how that God came and opened up the, the doors of the prison house and let Peter, Peter out. And, um, you know, he comes to the door of the house and he knocks on that door and and, and there were many people that were gathered there and they were praying. They didn't feel the least bit of condemnation for doing that because that's the thing that they needed to do in times like that. And I don't think that uh, anything has changed in terms of our time. Now, here's an interesting situation about our time. In 1962, Brother Branham had several uh, stories like this, and he also had personal involvement with people who were in court or on their way to prison uh, there were some uh, children of families he knew uh, who were involved in going to jail, different things. And uh, he said, did you see this court order last week in Indiana? What a shame. 15 years ago, a family here in Port Fulton, he said they sent a little girl home from school that refused to wear shorts in school. So the school mandated uh, shorts for, the, for all the students there, I guess for PE uh, back in that time. And, and Brother Branham asked, what's the matter with our nation? I thought this was a land of the free. And I thought we had a right, a religious freedom. Where's that gone? And this father stood up and said, when it was appealed in court, you know, and, and he said, it's against our religious beliefs for our children to wear shorts. Our little girl, 16, 17 years old, to wear shorts. It's against our religious beliefs. And they dismissed it and expelled the child from school. And Brother Branham's asking the question, Where's our religious freedom? Where's the freedom we thought we had? But now we have a Pharaoh raising up in our country that doesn't know God. Now you say, well, you know what? In the first Exodus, uh, that kind of a Pharaoh had to raise up. But you know what? If that's the case, then why would Brother Branham be asking this question here? What's the matter with our nation? Now let me give you a little personal experience here that I had. Uh, when I uh, did my studies for the citizenship test, uh, back last year in July. And uh, they gave us, me a, a practice test. And then they, when I went to, in front of the person to take an oral exam, they gave me uh, a, a section of these questions to ask. I, I'd love to be able to ask you some of these questions as well, but I'm going to just limit myself to a couple of comments here. And again, this is the, the list of practice questions that they gave me. And question 49 said this, what is the one responsibility that is only for United States citizens? This is a responsibility. Number one is to serve on a jury, and number two, to vote in a federal election. That is your responsibility as an American citizen. Num next question. Name one right that is only for United States citizens. 
So we talked about a responsibility. What is a right for United States citizens? And there are two. One is to vote in a federal election, and the second is to run for federal office. That's a right that you have in this country. Now, I, by the way, I don't have a right to be president of the United States because I wasn't born here, but uh, my son's good. They could run for federal office. They could run for the office of president. Next question. What are two rights of everyone living in the United States? Well, there's a list of six here. Freedom of expression, of speech, freedom of assembly, and the freedom to petition the government, freedom of religion, and the freedom to bear arms. You say, Brother Barry, is this a civics lesson or is this a sermon? Hold on. Here's another question just a little bit farther down the, the, the way. Why did colonists fight the British? There are three reasons given. Number one, because of high taxes and taxes without representation. So in other words, these taxes were levied upon the American citizens or the citizens of, of the American colonies, uh, and they had no representation. They couldn't elect somebody to go and represent them in government. And secondly, because the British government stayed in their homes and it was called quartering back then, they didn't have a choice. They had to put up and feed the soldiers back in that day and the German soldiers who were hired by the British. And thirdly, why did the colonists fight the British? Because they didn't have self-government. Now, let me ask you, did God honor that struggle when they fought for their independence and for self-government, the right to self-government? I believe that they did. God honored their struggle, and God blessed the nation in its infancy. And if you don't believe that, you should look at that great picture of George Washington, you know, crossing the Delaware, and how Brother Branham uh, talked about how George uh, Washington prayed, and God honored him and protected him from the Indians, and the bullets went through his coat, and so forth. Uh, I Let me tell you, we have the freedoms we have, because somebody stood up and said, we are not going to let... Uh, our enemies just, uh, you know, roll over us and uh, treat us unfairly. And they stood up and did that. And I want to say this. I believe that God honored them. Now, let me give you question 87 here just for you to think about. Name one American tribe of Indians in the United States. Let me give you a couple. The Cherokee, the Navajo, the Sioux, the Chippewa, the Choctaw, the Pueblo, the Apache, Iroquois, Creek, Blackfeet, Seminole, Cheyenne, Arawak, the Shawnee, the Mohegan, the Huron, the Oneida, the Lakota, the Crow, Teton, Hopi, and the Inuit. They were all Indian tribes. They were all nations of Indians. You know what I believe their problem was? They were the original true Americans, but they fought wrong. They could not agree together and had no unity, and they fought in the wrong way. As a result, many of these peoples now, they exist many times only on paper. I would say this, saints of God, that while we are here, I believe that we should exercise uh, the, the rights and the freedoms that we have in our country. And one of them is the right to be able to worship God in our own way. And I'm very thankful for that. I believe that people ought to come to church. And I believe that uh, I'm very thankful for uh, the freedoms that we have and being able to enjoy the liberties that uh, our forefathers have stood for and our, uh, our elders have fought in world wars for. And those are no minor things. And I believe that God blessed this nation because we stood for what was right. 
like God said to those children of Israel going down into Babylon, they say, when you get in a city, you pray for the peace of that city because that peace in that city is going to help you when you get there. Brother Bram says in the countdown, he says a natural astronaut is controlled by a radar on the ground. And when they go up miles and miles and you couldn't see anything, the radar is pointing right to it. It's controlled by radar, the natural astronaut. And the spiritual astronaut is controlled by a unit also, a unit of prayer. That controls the spiritual astronaut and keeps him lined up as prayer. God had a little unit setting on the earth one time when his astronaut was here. And one little touch of faith stopped him and that answered back. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. I believe it is a wrong thing for us to simply say, well, whatever will be, will be. If that was true, entirely true, then you know what? Prayer wouldn't change things. Prayer wouldn't alter anything. And it would be pointless and a prophet would not be encouraging us to do it. We find over in uh, in Romans chapter 12, in the very last chap- verse of the chapter, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. One little touch of faith stopped Jesus and that answered back. Prayer changes things. We see what can be done in the natural and it's a type of the spiritual, the spiritual happenings. It can be controlled that way. Now, let me give you one more little statement here. And I, I just, I feel like I'm just getting going here because there's, there's something like 86 different slides here and I've only done a couple. And I, I don't mean to read all of these and, and just be lost in that. But uh, I just I just feel a, a passion that, you know, I, um, I, I just would, I would encourage you, I would encourage all of you to, you know, just just to be seeking God, not only to be ready eternally, not only to be ready for that kingdom, but Lord, help me to channel some of that kingdom into this world in its darkness and in an hour of great need, right where I am, right where I am in my street and my school and my work and help me to be an effective witness for the kingdom. I believe that's what he wants us to be. I believe that we are not here to just turn the world and the cosmos over to Satan because we're Christians and we belong to another kingdom. Hey, I believe we should be Christians everywhere we are, and I believe we should let our light shine. Be a witness and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are the last hope that this world has. I believe we should be bold with our faith and our testimony and discerning of what the people around us actually need. They don't need a hypocrite, and they don't need somebody who's two-faced, and they don't need somebody who, uh, you know, has no interest in spiritual things and no interest in God, but claims to be a churchgoer. That's not going to impress anybody. What's going to impress people around you is your zeal for God and your love for God, the love that overflows to other people, and then, then, of course, the love that you show to others. Let's look at this statement here now. Again, this is a prophet now, a prophet that was sent to us. And watch what he says. This morning that uh, Jesus was to appear in Jericho, Rebecca must have prayed all night for her husband. She wanted him to be saved. So Rebecca's a believer, Zacchaeus is not. And he said, that's the way you got to pray for people. Prayer changes things. So she must have prayed all night. In other words, there's a passion, there's a desperation, there's an earnestness that she has about praying and seeking God. Along about daylight, little old Zacchaeus got up, put his best clothes on that he had, stepped out and told Rebecca he's going to get a breath of fresh air. But that night, maybe the Lord had been dealing with him, according to Rebecca's thoughts and prayers. Uh, let me read that again. But that night, maybe the Lord had been dealing with him, according to Rebecca's thoughts and prayers. 
So does God work alone? Absolutely, without any any involvement or interaction with anybody else. Well, yes, he does. But I'm reading an example here where Brother Bram's trying to encourage us to get into the fight and do your part because the Holy Spirit seems to be acting on Zacchaeus' heart according to what Rebecca did. Now, if you want God to save your husband or your wife, just keep praying for them. Just keep praying. Do you have a loved one in your heart that you feel really needs an experience with God and you just need to keep praying for him? That's all you have to do. You can't bleed for them. You can't go to the cross for them. You cannot uh, pay for their sins. You can't do that. Couldn't even pay for your own. But you can believe and you can pray and you can seek God and you can keep that person you know, before the throne of grace. Just keep praying and believing. If there's any spark of life there at all, God will put somebody across that path that they'll see it. God will put something across that path that they'll see it. Then if they reject it, that's up to them. Remember, you're not the Savior, but you're just the instrument. You're just the voice. You're just the tool that God wants to use in this case here. Last quote. Now a righteous man is not a sinless man. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. A righteous man is not a sinless man. And the scripture of his life proves he had his ups and downs like we do. He had his times of wondering, times that his temper got away from him. A lot of things went wrong. A lot of things went wrong for Elijah. But he was still a righteous man because he confessed his unworthiness and he believed in God. That's what made him righteous. We are not righteous within ourselves. We're righteous through Christ. I cannot be sanctified within myself. I'm sanctified through Christ, who stands in the presence of God in my place. It is in my holiness. My holiness won't work. His does. Because God accepted him, and in accepting him, he had to accept me because I'm in him. And we don't have to depend on ourselves. And you're bound to be backsliding constantly, so it takes a constant prayer to God and say, like Paul said, I die daily. And if Paul had to die daily, how much more I'm going to have to stay there dead all the time. If Paul had to die daily to stay right with God. Now remember, as we said before, there's an anointing that comes on people. And sometimes we look at a prophet like we look at the exploits that Brother Branham did, and we think, wow, that's the way he was. When that anointing came on him, he did those exploits and those things according to his calling and his ministry for God. But you know what? In, in our life, life can be difficult, life can be trying, life can be stressful like it is now. There's layers of difficulty everywhere that we never thought would exist, and they're here. Hey, look around. We're broadcasting from home. We're not in church. We're broadcasting from home. And, you know, this is, uh, this, there, there are lots of things that happen in our lives. It takes constant prayer. It takes asking forgiveness. It takes all of that. But you know what? We stand, besides the fact that we make mistakes, we stand justified as though we never sinned in the first place, by God's grace. We stand with a revelation that we are we are sons and daughters of God. We have a revelation that we have eternal life. And because of that, then we know, we know that the devil can never take us down. There's a purpose of God for our lives, not just to raise hogs and educate our kids, but we have a purpose in life. And I say we should pursue that purpose, and we should pursue it in every realm, the natural realm, the spiritual realm, in every way, in your work, in your marriage, in your uh, teenage years, no matter what it is, that what station of life you're at. 
I think we should stop and say, Lord, I, I just I just want to take that time to, to die daily, to ask forgiveness for my mistakes, to stop right where I, I am and just throw myself at your mercy and say, Lord, there may only be a short amount of time left, but make it count and help me live victoriously. Help me live as an overcomer and help me live as a witness for Christ in the in the world that I'm living in, no matter where I am. This is not just about going to church and being entertained in a youth meeting. This is not just about uh, gathering together and, you know, paying our tithes and opening our Bible and going out to a restaurant. This is about life. This is about no matter where God takes us in this journey, uh, let me tell you, we are one of his, and we know it. When that's clear. That's something that's embedded in our hearts here. And we are not. We are determined we are not going to be overcome by evil, but we're going to overcome evil with good. And whatever I can do in my community, whatever I can do in my neighborhood, whatever I can do. Brother Bram talked about, you know, just in his neighborhood, picking up all the kids in the back of his pickup truck and riding down the road because it was just a blessing to those kids there. Whatever we can do in a small way, whatever we can do uh, to make life uh, better for somebody. I say we should pursue that with all of our heart and be the very best we can. God bless you been a joy tonight to talk to you and I trust that the Lord will continue to encourage you and to give you the open doors and the opportunities that you need to really put your faith on display. Everyone doesn't have the same job. Everybody's not anointed to do the same thing, but you're here for a purpose more than just to raise hogs. You're here for a purpose. God lays someone in your heart. You should be praying for him. There are people who are sick and needy in the church, people who need help doing things. We should be seeking them out. If you don't know who they are, you you contact me and I'll let you know who they are. We have, there's, there's always financial needs. There are always uh, ways to help families in different situations. We just want to do the very best we possibly can. And we start at the household of faith. We start right in Jerusalem and then we work out from there. Pray for your community and the peace of that community. I believe that's a good thing. Intercessions, everything. God has you here for a reason. God has you at the end for a reason. And I'll tell you something, God has you in 2020 for a reason. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time tonight we've had together. Lord, these little lessons, I, I just pray to be like just little seeds that fall into good hearts, good ground, and grow into great trees. Guide us in your will. Forgive us of our mistakes, Lord. And I pray that you would strengthen us in your service. Just want to say, Lord, we love you and thank you for how you provide. And thank you, Lord, for all that you have shown us. We thank you for instruction in righteousness and the desire, Lord, I pray, to, to be in love with the things of God and to hate the things of the lower dimension. I just ask, oh God, that you would just give us that like Shamgar had that righteous indignation that he had when he asked the question, what can I do? And you just, you just anointed him to look at that enemy in a different way, and they became smaller all the time. Father, may we be fearless and bold in our approach to life and help us, Lord, to be passionate in our pursuit of your will. Bless our time. Bless the families, Lord, that are listening and those that are listening afar. Father, we commit them to you. And Lord, Hold us in your will until we meet again. On the weekend, we just commit our, our assembly into your hands now. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray.
Amen and amen. God bless you, saints. Thank you for coming.